Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Politics without the soap opera. With unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for what matters in the way it matters, at the time it matters. And boy, there is a lot that matters today, even though it is a quiet day, quiet week here in the middle of the summer, August 14th. Brand new week here at CR Podcast. Your host, Daniel Hurwitz. Back here today, if you like the show, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. And we are ready to go because, you know, I've noticed something interesting. If you want to kind of diagnose the ailment of our fake movement as to why it doesn't properly diagnose the ailments of our country and civilization, it's because we're very good at diagnosing symptoms, but not the cause of those symptoms or the solution. So that's why we'll glum on to any like, you know, any new hotness. Oh, this is going on, or that's a good song, or this is a good way of capturing it. All the while missing the point that other things that you continue to support are the very cause of it, and that's going to prevent you from discovering the proper solution to the the symptom of the problem that you claim to be bothered by. So, you know, obviously there's this song from Oliver Anthony that's taking everyone by storm, the rich men north of Richmond. And look, I mean, it's... It's a great, I mean, the song's not that great quality, uh, like Try That in a Small Town, I think it was better. But the lyrics, yeah, I mean, it's very heartfelt and definitely fully addresses symptoms we're seeing. What are the symptoms? The symptoms are we're basically just living our lives to pay bills and still are behind, and then we die. That's what he actually said. It's not part of the song, but he said something like, we live to pay bills and then die. Now, obviously, if you have God in your life, which you always should, then even in these hard times, even with the economy and society and culture the way it is, you know, it should be more than that. But, you know, from a public policy standpoint, the symptom is absolutely correct. It's something that years past, a sentiment that would only be associated with people like Bernie Sanders, oh, the rich people are making it that we can't get ahead. Except here it's true, because precisely because we didn't have a free market all of these years, and you had the Federal Reserve and the endless debt creating the inflation, and the global warming regulations, and all the supply side regulations, and all the regulatory capture that creates a situation where only those who have the economies of scale, only the incumbent powers that are you know, have the ability to deal with that regulatory, that tax, that uh, debt structure, the interest rates at a given time, they then use those policies as a barrier to entry for any competition. 
And that's why small businesses are getting destroyed. Even large business, it's really just a handful of businesses that work together hand in glove with the government. They're all one entity. And we're left with, with a situation where, you know, you, you can no longer live the lifestyle of your parents and grandparents, middle income, middle upper income, where you had one one salary and you could afford the accoutrements of life. Now, even with two salaries, often you cannot. And, you know, I, I think it, it's just a broader sense that we, we, we're lacking a sense of purpose in our lives. Everything's broken. People have turned to drugs. People have turned to uh, all sorts of things, digital zombieing. And, yeah, we have a broken society, and it's almost like it's all by design. But we forget what has caused all this. Okay? So... When you have unbridled populism, you got to watch out. I, I agree with the sentiments. I have expressed it myself longer than these people have. You know, I, I, I was always a free market populist, so to speak, meaning where you harness the unfairness, but you identify accurately that it's actually big government debt inflation that's leading us to that, and, and therefore it informs you on what you need to do because what you don't want to do is just fall into the trap of oh so we just need to give people handouts this is what trump did when before he left office he wanted even more and more and more stimulus checks it's like dude that is what's creating the inflation you can't separate the two the 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 solution is to obviously get rid of the inflation you can't be like i want to spend money like a leftist and then complain about inflation uh, making it that the middle class can't live, or middle income, I hate the word class, but middle income cannot live properly. Uh, you know, you got to pick a side. So, you know, you cannot, and I want to elaborate on this a little bit later, you cannot dwell on the inflation problem, the cost of living, the lack of ability to get ahead without the understanding that the debt and the government spending that is driving that, it's not just some sort of like, figure on a spreadsheet that is at its core the rich men north of richmond that's what they're doing they create all this capital out of printing it out of government favors and they create an artificial economy but it's all enabled by unconstitutional large big government that we should oppose and yet republicans whenever they control congress or the presidency which we did have from 2017 to 2021. And when they control all these red states, they do the same thing. They embrace the global warming. They embrace the spending and debt. They embrace the pandering, the racial pandering, the class pandering, the handout pandering. And then they complain about the symptom. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that's easy to do. And that leads me to my next point. Will we actually wake up from the symptoms and will that serve as an impetus to do something different? I, I say to this day, the most devastating thing for me, and I know a lot of you, is that COVID wasn't enough. I, I'm just floored at how we lived through what we lived through and it didn't change our people one iota. And when I say our people, I'm not talking about the electorate or the public as a whole, but I'm talking about Republican primary voters. 
And you don't even need to come on to the more subtle died suddenly stuff that that maybe that didn't seep into people's brains despite the crazy amount of death. And maybe if we have time, we'll talk about some uh, latest figures on that. But just the lockdowns and the masking in the police state, I, I don't understand. You say, okay, maybe people are scared, but then, you know, people realize there's a front, and by the time they realize there's a front, oh, it's over, okay, let's move on. And let's face it, most Republican voters don't care anymore. And I was, to me, the most devastating thing. So the 2020 primaries were going on literally during the lockdown. So you could say maybe people are shell-shocked. But we got to, like, the 2022 primaries. So that, that was about, let's just say, in general, 12 to 16 months ago. So COVID was still, there was still a lot of fascism going on, but it was way at the tail end when people realized it was crazy. You would have thought that would have been the perfect moment. And there was something in my heart that was thinking that, you know, this thing that we've never seen before, where Republicans come out in mass in primaries and just vote out all the bad incumbents, despite challengers not having name recognition or money, it will just happen. People finally want to change. And I, and, I, and I looked at those primaries. If you remember last year, it was worse than ever. We didn't toss out anyone. Nothing has changed. People like Greg Abbott won by 70%. Mike DeWine, that animal from Ohio, just locked the hell out of people. He was literally like Gavin Newsom in a red state. He won the primary. He won the primary. You know, he got a little bit more against him than others, uh... But he got more than 50%, a little bit more, slightly more. So even if there would have been a runoff in Ohio, he would have won. What is it going to take for the people to wake up? That's what scares me. I want you to think about that for a minute. What could government do worse to us? I mean, you could think of it, but, but you know what I mean. That is a very unsettling thought. What will cause our people to wake up? Again, I'm not even talking about things that are headed towards a civil war. Everyone always talks about that, but I laugh. Yeah, there's going to be a civil war. Dude, they could pluck Trump out of Mar-a-Lago and put him in jail. You'll have a couple of skirmishes from kind of the most ardent supporters, but it won't spawn anything. They won't even have a budget fight. They won't even stay in for the August recess. The red states won't even reject the Green New Deal funding. And in fact, they promote the Green New Deal themselves, which is the next COVID. That is the lockdown. That is the full control. That's what scares me. If that didn't do it, what does? And why didn't it do it? Why didn't that create a catharsis, at least among Republican voters? But it clearly did not. So we're just going with the same. And, and at its core, I know people don't like to hear it, but that's how Trump is able to sail through a primary, even though he wasn't just president. He did all of this. He did the CARES Act. He bashed people who, who opposed it. And he did several more stimuluses. The inflation is almost at its core level is all him. Biden added on extra things, of course, and built upon the cake that he baked. He did all of that. At its core, the fact that Trump is doing so well is, is a clear reflection that COVID wasn't enough. So what is going? what is it going to take? And then the second question is, and this gets back to this song 
of rich men north of Richmond and blind, aimless populism versus, you know, you know, a mission with an American revolution is even if they do wake up, will our people properly identify the problem and the solution? So it's like, oh, this is terrible, and then will we just be taken in by some charlatan or some gimmick? And will all of that potential energy be jujitsued into a black hole like it always is? Because absent a movement, a godly movement, an Amos 515 movement, Amos 515, hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gate. Okay, a- anyone could come along and say, oh, it's it's terrible. I mean, Trump could run a campaign and say, Bidenomics is terrible, except you literally spent most of that money. You put that all in motion, the monetary and fiscal policies that created that. I mean, how do you divorce yourself from that? You said you didn't make a single mistake. You have no regrets. He says he has no regrets, not just from the, I'm not even getting to the vaccine and the physical death, but I'm talking about the economy, the liberty from the lockdown. Nothing. Which leads me to the next thing is the out of control inflation that's going to spiral. Is that going to finally be the thing that wakes people up? Hasn't yet. And I think that's where the, our next opportunity is to harness some sort of new movement. And by the way, speaking of that, we're sponsored today by Upside. One of our older sponsors is back with us. This is really important. Um, Upside could help you offset the inflated prices for food and fuel. So a lot of people, you get back 1% with your credit card uh, on per- on purchases. And, you know, that's that's very little. But you can get exponentially higher with Upside. What is Upside? So basically, it's an app. You download download it right now, and then anytime you want to buy gas, groceries, or eat out at a restaurant, and those are the things with the highest uh, cost of living uh, inflation the last couple of years, you get cash back on every purchase. Um, and it could it could really, really add up. It's, it's a secret weapon staying on track and at least cutting into some of that cost of living stuff i downloaded it and we use it a lot at uh we have sunoco and shell stations not all gas stations are affiliated with them but usually most places where you live you can find it so we especially use it on gas and you know look to get started you download the free upside app use my promo code conservative so right away with the promo code you get an extra 25 cents back for every gallon on your first tank of gas Okay, so that's just straight up cash in your pocket. Next, you claim an offer for whatever you're buying on Upside. So if you're about to go out to a gas station, you go and claim that offer. You go down, you know, put in, you know, Shell Station on that place, and then pay as usual, you know, with a credit card or whatever, and then follow the steps on the app and get paid. In comparison to credit card rewards and these loyalty programs, you can earn three times more cash back with Upside. I think sometimes I've earned even more um, with gas stations. Uh, plus, Upside doesn't sell your info. They've earned, um, really earning hundreds of dollars a year for people. That's free money. You know, you don't you don't have to do anything for it. So that's why we have a 4.8 star rating on on the App Store. Download again the free Upside app and use promo code Conservative to get an extra 25 cents back for every gallon of gas on your first tank of gas. That's an extra 25 cents back for every gallon on your first tank of gas using promo code. 
conservative. And uh, look, I mean, even CNN admits now that we're at a point where it now costs an extra $709 to live relative to two years ago. And I would argue, see, that ropes in Biden, but if you go to three years ago, it's even more. And, you know, what is what is that? That's $8,400 a year for a family. But this is just the beginning. The economy is the first chance I think we have to have our next inflection point. Why? Because for our entire life, they've been able to create this managed economy, this venture socialism, where they, they – surprisingly had a lot of control over it. The Federal Reserve was very good at making sure they were able to keep the money flowing, have the bank consolidations, um, juice up the stock market, juice up you know, a few dozen companies, create a fake economy, make enough people happy in the stock market, and, and inflation did not go up, and they were able to service the growth of government and debt on the cheap. That is over. That is over with now. They COVID... In their quest to kill us, they succeeded in everything they did. But the one thing is they lost complete control of the economy. There is no way they can manage that anymore. So this is uncharted waters. See, typically they're very good at knowing where that line is, where people will rebel. And I guess we still haven't met that. But it's going to get a lot worse. And that's why it is so important that we have a movement to... Channel that towards the right candidates, the right movement, people that are going to fight to repeal the Federal Reserve's ability to have this dual mandate to tamper with the economy, to end all the green energy global warming mandates and all the things that are creating this pain and suffering in the cost of living. That's where we need to head. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. You know, I find so many people, just before we get back to the economy, so many people... We're interested in focusing on COVID, had us on on their shows. And, you know, I was doing a lot of big shows for a while. And I was I thought we were headed towards a movement of a reckoning on COVID. And that's why Steve and I wrote our book. And then now we're completely shadow banned. No one's interested anymore. Take a wild guess as to why. Meta Trump, right? Because they can't focus on the issue that it's his greatest vulnerability. So that got me thinking that even when we have a movement that focuses on the right things once in a while, it's all talking point deep. It's just, oh, here's a good talking point for my show today. Look, there's look at these disability data, all these uh, excess deaths, and, and they'll cover it. But just because they want a talking point, a symptom, look at what the Democrats did. But they don't want to properly identify the source of the problem, which is the entire uniparty. And sometimes they'll use the word uniparty, except they'll exclude from it the greatest manifestation of the uniparty, but, but that's fine. And then direct it with a continuity of observations, continuity of strategic objectives. We don't just, oh, here's a good news story. 
You know, we always come back to our top issues. Biomedical security state, the surveillance state, the border, crime, the tranny stuff, inflation, global warming, and focus on either the way we can leverage those news stories, the legislative and budgetary uh, strategic leverage points we have in Congress, in the red states, different things coming up. And, and that's what I do. But my colleagues don't want to do that. That's what you do if you actually want to make a difference. If you want to, um, you know, like a doctor, diagnose the ailment and then <clears throat> formulate a treatment. But if all you're doing is just, here's a symptom, oh, that's a nice populist talking point. But then, you know, it continues to get worse. That's all about ratings. And that's the thing. We have to make sure this guy, Oliver Anthony, doesn't get gobbled up by the mainstream conservative industry and just becomes one big grift. No doubt that could be a rallying cry, but it's got to be a rallying cry against venture socialism. And the greatest manifestation of venture socialism was the CARES Act and the subsequent COVID policies. It started a lot, really. I mean, it was gradually creeping for 20, 30 years. And it really shifted quickly during the 2008 to 2011, you know, Obama slash Bush bailout policies. And then just was off the charts in 2020. And now here we are living in a fake economy. And I just want to go through this again. It's not like it is true that the little guy is getting beaten down, but how? Getting beaten down because we have a government that created economic policies through unconstitutional growth of government, debt and spending, and a regulatory capture structure that created artificial monopolies, boxed out opportunities, boxed out small businesses, made it that even if you work hard, you can't get ahead, and then they spent a lot of the, the loot. See, they're not stupid. It's not just on the big corporations. They spend a lot of it on the bottom, on the welfare. And then that keeps people dependent. And then you got the depression. You get the drugs. The open borders is a big part of that. And you have a bunch of sick people in the in the workforce. That that, that that's a huge part of it, by the way, with the labor force. There are so many men now who don't work. And it's almost like it's a, a permanent fixture in our society. It's, it's scary as anything. You, know, you look at the labor force participation rate, it's been declining since the 1960s. And um, where are we here? If you look at people without a bachelor's degree... From 16 to 64. So that should be before you retire. So, And by the way, it's gone down in all groups. But for non-college educated, we've gone from 88% in 1960. So 1960, 88% of non-college educated workforce age men or is this men or does it include women but it was 88% were working. Now it's down to 
71%. Okay? And most of the drop was most precipitous the last 15 or so years. This is a huge, huge problem. When you go from 88% to 71%, that's millions of people. So again, it's the crime, the substance abuse, suicide, welfare, um, interesting thing, if the sh- share of the working age U.S.-born men in the labor force were, were in the labor force today at the levels they were in 1960, that would mean there would be another 9.5 million people in the workforce. Even if you take 2,000 levels, you say, well, 1960 is ancient, but 2,000 levels. That would be 4.8 million men. Okay? And again, it, it, it's an amalgamation of a number of factors. They, Because, they, they, again, you've got to identify the problems and the solutions. It's an amalgamation of, at the same time creating the welfare state, crushing opportunity with the Federal Reserve policies, the debt-driven policies, the artificial economy, and then mass low-skilled migration. Massive over that period of time. Tens of millions of people. So you put that all together, it's, it's just boxed, boxed us out. The real employment crisis in America is not a shortage of workers. It's all the potential workers on the sidelines. Mass immigration has allowed America to ignore the decline in work. By simply saying, just just hiring more people. And it, it's a vicious cycle. So again, it needs to be dealt with. You need to do all these policies at once. Slash spending. Slash the economic manipulation that's juicing up this monopoly. I actually feel like we need to re-level the playing field. Have a five-year moratorium on business and payroll taxation just for small businesses. I don't normally like doing that. But in this case, it's, it's re tilting the playing field that was tilted from COVID and ending all low-skilled immigration. And then you, you, you tilt all this education funding and accreditation that we have more towards um, you know, trade schools. Because you could talk about a high-tech digital economy all you want, but think about things like construction. Why don't we have more construction? Okay, we need to construct more houses, that's for sure. And, you know, you'd have higher wages. And by the way, you, you like I said last week, you see that in Florida already. The New York Times identified that in Florida, thanks to E-Verify. Kind of what the populace always said they wanted, and you have one man who kind of did that, but, you know, so much for that. So, that's where we need to head. You can't just say, oh, the little guy, let's just give him a handout. It is okay. It's a very true talking point. But the difference between us and Bernie Sanders is that if you identify the source of the problem, it's Bernie's it's Bernie's solutions that are the problem that are already in place. Do you know that last month we came out with, uh, so July you have, where is this? The Treasury Statement. You know, basically for the outlays and revenues of our our federal government for July. 
So we had a 221 billion deficit just in one month. Net interest, okay, just the net interest on the debt is tied for the number three function of government. It's unbelievable. Social Security, of course, is number one, 116 billion. Education was number two at 86 billion. It's because a bunch of student loans that we're paying for. Um, education is usually not number two. It's usually healthcare. Um, but tied for three with health and net interest are both 67 billion ahead of national defense, 56 billion. So in other words, we spent more on net interest, interest on the debt last month than we did on national defense, and we spend a lot on defense. Now, health does not include Medicare for some of the way they account for it in this. So it's minus Medicare. Medicare is obviously the big one, but still, I mean, it's a Medicaid and S-CHIP and all those health programs we have, which are tremendous. We spend as much on net interest as we did. Put another way, so $67 billion that month for net interest, we took in all social insurance and retirement taxes, so FICA, all the payroll taxes, so on both, I, I think that means both the employer and employee side, every worker in the United States, $119 billion. So we, we, more than half of the revenue taken in from all payroll taxes just went to interest alone. And if you include interest and health, that would consume it. This thing is off to the races. There is no way we will ever, ever control this ever again. Ever. Because we're now at an, at an annualized pace of interest cost of a trillion a year. We're now spending 40% more than we did just four years ago. We're on pace for at least $2 trillion deficit this year. And by the way, if, you, if you're at $2 trillion deficits headed forward, you know what that means? We have to service $5.5 billion a day. And an interesting thing, Bloomberg, I saw, reported, very interesting point. So the government last week had to offload a bunch of stuff. They had to auction off over 100, about $103 billion in treasuries. It was too much for the market to absorb. You know what happens when it's too much for the market to absorb? It, it pushes yields higher. The rates go higher. In other words, it's not just that you know Jerome Powell is choosing to keep rates elevated, might even raise them again, another 25 basis points to you know five and three quarters, but it's that the market is going to force it as well. It's a degenerative cycle. The more debt we have, the more we're desperate to service it. The more it pushes yields up, the more interest to service it is higher, the more deficits we have. The more inflation it creates. And then the more inflation it creates, the more the you know people are the companies are chewed up with costs, the less revenue they bring in, the less tax revenue we bring in, the more deficits we have, which creates even more uh, you know, debt and interest in the debt and more inflation. That is the cycle we are in. The only, like I said, we are at a point where the only question is, are we going to have permanent st stagflation or will we have a deep, deep recession that will break the inflation, but it will be a deep recession? We are off to the races. Thomas Hogan, um, he's a fellow at a AEIR. Jeffrey Tucker used to work there. Um, j just to understand the level of inflation we've had. After brief turmoil, he notes that after brief turmoil during Amer uh, during the Revolutionary War, 
the price level was about the same in 1784 as it was in 1914. Because we had gold. Straight up. 19, the reason why he chooses 1914 is because that's the Federal Reserve. Could you imagine that? The price level was essentially flat from 1784 to 1914. Over 130 years. Now, if you, that, that's 130-year increment. Now compare the 109-year increment, which is less, since the Federal Reserve, we have 3,000% inflation. And most of that incline was after 1970s, when we stopped backing the dollar with gold reserves. I mean, that right there is the biggest scam. That's what it is. We don't need welfare. We don't need Bernie Sanders populism. We need free market constitutional populism. So that's where we're at. We need to make it very clear what we believe. We don't believe in just giving handouts. We believe in what Andrew Jackson believed when he vetoed the rechartering of the, of the National Bank. That God creates a world in a certain way. There are natural you know, advantages and disadvantages. People have natural abilities, natural inequality, and that's life. It's indispensable to an economy. But when it's created by unconstitutional government growth, market distortions, and manipulation, regulations, regulatory capture, that's a horse of a different color. You know, Califf, the FDA administrator recently, he was quoted as saying that, admitted like, look, normally we're not supposed to be cheerleaders, we're supposed to be regulators, but we cheerleaded Paxlovid because we needed to do that. So nothing Pfizer created is natural. That is not a free market. I am a, see. I'm not uh, Bernie. Bernie Sanders like oh, these, these pharmaceuticals with the with the with the profits. It's like, hey bastard, you created that. You he created that. Bernie's all for the mandates and the regulatory capture and all that, and the liability shield. I'm not seeing him join us to get rid of the Prep Act, right? <laughs> so. Again, I'm just trying to show you, you got to be careful. You could identify a symptom. Bernie Sanders does too, except he created that. And where are we holding now? Again, what I'm saying is the economy is beyond control. People cannot live anymore. Now, eventually, people will be okay with this. But my hope is that it gets bad enough before people get acclimated to it on a permanent basis. But... You need then, so then they'll wake up, but wake up to what? The symptom. You need a movement to identify the problem and the solution. We can't have a bunch of grifters just grifting off of a song. Before COVID, old houses used to cost 75000 less than new houses. Okay, as you'd expect. Now, they're roughly the same. Average house is about 416000 That's how bad... The supply is because of the the mortgage rate cliff that has been created. But that mortgage rate cliff is a legacy of Trump's CARES Act, Trump's spending, and Trump pressuring Jerome Powell, appointing Jerome Powell, and then pressuring him to have zero interest rates for that long. So then you have the bounce back. 
I, I love it how Trump's the blue collar guy. All the Trump people are into this song, Rich Men North of Richmond. What do you think his bankers were doing with the zero interest rates for that long that that created this artificial economy? Then now they have the economies of scale to deal with the sudden rise in interest rates that the small businesses and small banks are getting crushed with. It's all him. I don't understand how I'm supposed to pretend like he wasn't the president doing this at the most critical juncture that created this fake economy that we all now live a life of paying bills and then dying. Yellow Trucking Company. Big company, but sm- big, a, a big small company. Bankrupt. They go, went out of business. 3,000 jobs lost. But anyway, back to housing. The median sales price of a house in the U.S. is now 560% of the median household income. To put that in perspective, right, obviously your house is always going to be much more than your income. That's why you take out a mortgage. You put it down 20% down payment. But 560% of the average income. The biggest housing bubble we had until now was 2008. Then it was 360% of median household income. It's much, much higher now. Homeowners are now spending a record 40% of their gross income on their mortgage. The median mortgage payment just hit 2700 But we're not done yet. Because it's the, the home prices are inflated, so the property taxes and insurance are higher. That's insane. You know, when I bought my home... What was it? Uh, almost eleven years ago. So my entire monthly payment, principal, interest, taxes, and insurance, it was about fifteen fifty. I want to say a month. Now I'm locked in, but just think about this: I'm now over two thousand. So the percentage has really gone up, just because of mainly taxes, but a little bit of insurance, just because of the housing prices going up so much which you want your house to go up obviously but not that quickly because you get crushed with taxes so you even people locked in at i'm locked in at three and an eighth that's where we are so you can imagine you're buying now with 2700 just on principal and interest where that's gonna head so you're forced to rent but then that creates such a pressure on the rent market the median u.s Asking rent in July was 2038 bucks, Just 16 bucks below the record high last August. Because then it went down a little bit, and now we're back up to that high. So we have another resurgence of the highest levels of inflation. And then obviously cars, you know, the average payments are well into the 700s. Motor vehicle repair prices are up 20% this year. Think about this another way. The cost for U.S. middle class families, a family of four, so in 1985, the average um, yearly income of a male, median male income in a family of four, was 23,036 bucks. The average median family annual cost was 17,586. So that's you were in the in, in, in the black. You were you had a surplus of five thousand four hundred fifty a year. Now the average income for median male is sixty three thousand three eighty eight, 
and the average cost is seventy five thousand seven hundred thirty. So you're in the hole over twelve thousand, as opposed to being, you know, in the plus fifty four hundred. And again, this all depends where you live. You know, this is with two kids. I have four kids. I can tell you it costs a lot more than seventy five thousand a year to live. Well over a hundred thousand to live. And um, you know, it's interesting. The one thing that's doing good is the jobs market. Okay? But why is that doing so good? It's coming from a bad place. If you look at table A9 of the BLS, you know, employment data from last month from July, full-time employment actually dropped 585,000. You wouldn't you you won't hear that anywhere. All the ads were from second and part-time jobs. That tells you people are desperate to get second jobs just to afford basic expenses. And again, in order to service this, it's driving up rates quicker. What is that doing? It's choking off credit. Commercial bank lending has declined by 1.63%. The last time that happened was the the dot-com bubble and the financial crisis. Demand for bank loans on the corporate side has fallen to the lowest level since 2008. The average American credit card balance is at a record 7300. Meanwhile, the median household has just 5300 in savings. Total credit card debt in the US jumped by 45 billion the last 3 months to a record 1 trillion. Some of you might have heard that headline. Um, since 2021, total credit card debt is up nearly 250 billion. So we went from record stimulus to record debt. People spent that money, created inflation, and now they're out of that stimulus money. Trump would have done more, of course. And again, but my, my point is, at the time, that was very populous. Well, the big banks and all the big corporations are getting it, so if we're spending the money, you may as well give it to the people. And it has a nice ring to it, but dude, that's not the answer. The answer is not, the answer to venture socialism is not socialism. It's to get rid of the venture socialism. Um, And yeah, I mean, so Americans now owe a trillion in credit card debt. And that is, that is um, 264 billion above where it was in April, 2021. And meanwhile, Apple, Microsoft, Google, and Amazon, the combined revenue of the four largest U.S. companies it hit a record 1.42 trillion over the last 12 months. That's larger than the GDP of all but 15, I think 15 countries. <laughs> so folks, that is the point, but it's not like just class warfare. We're not Bernie Sanders here. It's venture socialism, which is when the the you know elected officials and, and mainly unelected officials use government to advance the fortunes of a small number of corporate entities at the expense of everyone else. It's neo-fascism without nationalism. That's really what it is. And that's what needs to be. And by the way, j- just so you know, you know so the M2 money supply, that's the full broader measure of money supply. So it it increased like 40% during the Trump spendathol and that's what caused inflation. Now because of the uh, uh, uh the interest rate cliff it's choked off. We're actually right as of now. It's it's 
negative. The M2 is contracting. It's something that we haven't seen since uh, the Volcker days in the early 80s. And still inflation is that bad. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's how crazy this is. So again, the only way out of it is through mass, um, pretty much just mass uh, recession, depression. This is the next opportunity we have. But right now, I don't see a movement on the horizon. I don't see a new party on the horizon. I don't see an effort to pressure red state governors and attorneys general and state legislatures to do the right thing on things like global warming, which is a big part of the cost of living, quality of life, the control, the surveillance. I don't see an effort. You know, this is primary season. It's right now. If you don't recruit candidates now... Um, next, you know, sounds like it's far away, but next year's primaries, primaries are earlier in most states during presidential years for Senate, for Congress, for governor, for state legislature, county, sheriff, prosecutors. I don't see a movement in place to change the crop of Republicans we have. And as we've seen so far, they have not changed. There is no movement. That's what happens when you have mindless populism. You just look for any, any ephemeral talking point of a symptom that looks very gory like yeah look at that terrible thing you know i I just rattled off a bunch of economic statistics you could do a lot of shows on that and it could catch headlines but but where did it come from and what are you going to do about it and that's what we're lacking and that's why we are where we are now where a hindu atheist pharma bro a pyramid schemer vivek ramaswampi and then a closet homosexual rhino grifter like Tim Scott get better press than DeSantis in the conservative sphere. That's where we are. You know, I have this amazing email from listener Fred. Longtime listener. And he tells me this, and, and, and email me, Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com, if you are seeing similar things. See, on the one hand, I want to like wrap my, like, like, strangle these people, our voters, for not getting it, for not changing their modus operandi, for not being spawned to action, feeling a cathartic change from, and and when I say COVID, it's not just COVID. It's, it embodied January 6th, it embodied BLM rioting, all the terrible things they did to us and everything economically flows down from there that that did not spawn any degree of change within the Republican Party. And a big part of it is Trump, because Trump is the perfect, like, on the one hand, supplying people with this false hope in his rhetoric, but on the other hand, in his private actions, actually does everything he can to continue the status quo, mainly endorsing against our guys, but also just serving as a distraction and sucking out the oxygen, the ultimate controlled opposition. Anyone with an IQ over 90 could see that. But people don't. So why not? Is it that our people don't share our values? Or is it that they just don't know the specifics of politics over the course of a you know, continuity of observations from seven years that they, they, don't, they don't get it? So email uh, this email from Fred. This weekend, I was at a family event with extended family. Almost everyone is blue-collar mostly small business owners and trades like masonry and concrete. To the extent politics came up, everyone is still pro-Trump. Barely anyone knows who Ron DeSantis is. 
and aren't any more familiar with him than they are with Ramaswampy. They get their information from big-name talk radio, secondhand posts on Facebook, and word of mouth. It is mostly an emotional thing that Trump is getting attacked because the elite are really attacking the little guy. These aren't cultists. They just literally don't hear anything negative about Trump from the so-called right and hear almost nothing about anyone who isn't named Trump or Biden. And, and, and I think it, it, it really hit me in the gut, this email, because I think, you know, you have a lot of anecdotes. Anyone can say an anecdote, but sometimes you have an anecdote that you know reflects a broader ubiquitous dynamic and sentiment throughout the public, and I really think this is it. This is why I come down so hard on my colleagues because if you do this full time and you build audiences and make a living off of doing this, you have a responsibility to make this whole. You have a responsibility to inform our voters on the issues that they would care about if they would only know. This is how you have Christy Nome is so popular. No one knows that her top lobbyists are stealing people's land for carbon capture. By the way, Biden just allocated $1.2 billion for carbon capture. This is the problem. This is how you have in Ohio no reckoning on COVID. And DeWine wins. And by the way, his attorney general, some of you might have seen this. We'll try to cover this later with um, Tom Renz is representing Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. She had her license revoked for speaking the truth about the COVID shots. This, this is the type of thing that's happening like, you know, to Merrill Nass in Maine, which is all controlled by Democrats. But this is a Republican attorney general. How the hell does this happen in Ohio? This is unreal. We're not making any progress. Because people are too busy doing shows. And that that gets me to two more just action items, or, or not really action items, but important items. What it means to actually drive a narrative. We have not given up on a COVID reckoning. And tomorrow we're going to have on one of our two heroes that we're fundraising for with our signature copy of our book. So if you go to fourthreichbook.com, that's a website set up by our publisher, Post Hill. Um, I know a lot of you, you guys were so generous that you bought the book, number of copies. So this is marked up as a fundraiser. But in, in return, Steve and I have pledged that we will not take a penny of royalties. 100% of the royalties, the net um, profit is going to go towards Dr. Captain, Dr. Sam Sigaloff, who will be on our show tomorrow, um, and Lieutenant Mark Bashaw, who's kicked out of the military, court-martialed, for standing up for other people as public health and doctor officials in the military, warning about the shots, warning about the masks, willing to give people medical exemptions, and they were kicked out, they have their careers destroyed, and we want to fundraise for a lawsuit to go and, um, you know, th this will really, really bring out the military malfeasance and, and bring some sort of a reckoning. We'll talk about that tomorrow with uh, Sam will be on the show. But again, fourthreichbook.com, fourthreichbook.com. Um, you guys are, are amazingly generous. So the the reception to this was crazy. I, I'm a little embarrassed to say this, but what happened was, so Steve right away, um, so he signs a nameplate, and then I sign mine. We send it to the publisher, and they put it on the books. And that's how they're able to do this quickly. So Steve banged out a 1,000 signatures. 
I'm like, what the heck? I don't know how he does that. I just, I can't do it. So I'm much slower than him. So now there's more copies already ordered than what I signed, what I sent them. So I'm furiously, um, you know, I did another 250 or so, and I really got to do another 100 today, 100 tomorrow. So we'll, we'll get this done. It might just take another week. But uh, the first few hundred copies are going out now. And, you know, I, I, I am so humbled by, by the reaction to it. Again, this is not for us. This is our way of saying, look, we didn't write a book just to make money. We, we really wrote it to make a difference, and we feel these two people embody that. And, and this is really what the movement should be about. These are, you know, look, I'm not going to mention names, but you know what I mean. Um, you, you could look at the top political books right now on Amazon, and some of these people have so much money they don't know what to do with. They should be doing things like this. Believe me, I could use the money. I could use the royalties. I really can. But there's other people who are harmed much more over COVID, and they need help, and we need a reckoning through some of these lawsuits. So that's what we're funding. And just the second point I want to make, speaking of this, is speaking of of, uh, Steve Dace. So as you well know, Steve did a formal endorsement with Ron DeSantis in his studio in Des Moines on Friday. And... You know, again, I will just tell you, there's one thing the people who endorsed DeSantis earlier this year when they thought that, you know, he'd march in there and, you know, the polls kind of looked very good. But to do it now when the polls look bad, I will just tell you, Steve has lost so many opportunities because of that. He had literally nothing to gain. He could have just, you know, did horse race analysis, didn't have to take a side. But I really admire what he did because, again, to a large extent, I have nothing to take from me. He has a lot more on the table. He's had a lot more success than I've had. So there's a lot more to lose. And with his movie, he could have easily got some of the Trump digital army to support it. Obviously, that is gone. And he was willing to do that. You know, again, I mean, that that, that is something that is very, very telling but it's it's this sort of reverse grifting that we need the self selflessness that we need anyone could grift off of a song and i'm not saying oliver anthony is i think it was gen- genuinely very heartfelt but that needs to be taken as a rallying cry to something substantive that, substan- substantial that will go somewhere and not just have people grift off of him uh, because this is what we're all about a viral moment at the moment not using a viral moment as an impetus, as a Boston massacre sort of moment to go ahead and create some sort of revolution. Where are we headed? We're just an aimless industry that is seeking any talking point, uh, identifying a symptom, and and sometimes it might be a, a, a correct talking point or a symptom. But that's all it is to them. They will not pursue any meaningful redress on that issue. And that's why I'll tell you now, no one will have us on anymore to talk about the COVID stuff. I didn't even get to it. I said I would with all the um, stuff. We'll talk about more tomorrow with the reckoning. I also want to give one more shout out. You know, the, the imagine if everyone in this audience would run for office, local office, where you are situated if you're in a place where you can get elected, a reddish area. You know, because a blue area, you just can't. 
So one of our longtime listeners, he's a divorce lawyer, but he took away time from a much more lucrative business uh, to practice COVID law and um, sue for you know, medical freedom. Andy Fox in Knoxville, Tennessee, he there's an open seat for city council in Knoxville. And this is very important because Knoxville is one of the larger cities that's still somewhat conservative, but again, really, you know, not where it should be, and, and it's going to ebb away. That's the exact sort of place you need a, a fighter to get in there for local government. Um, so so check him out. Andy, Andy Fox from Knoxville City Council. It might be Ward 5. I'm forgetting which one. But but I, I want to give a shout out to him and 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 email me Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com if any any of you guys are doing this you know again city council huge state legislature things like that uh, county executive if you're able to run for for positions like that you will make a big big difference because your red area is not red remember there's a reason why we were able to have 70 80 percent red counties that were masking children for months on end, end in school. That was nonsense. And that shows that we don't have a movement that truly believes in itself. I I truly believe that preaching to the choir actually does help. It won't win you a national election, but just in your areas, it will actually get you to believe in something more than the, you know, and the latest distraction. Ramaswampy, there'll be more after him. That's my concern. There's more where he came from, and we're going to continue to have this. We need a reckoning. But to have a reckoning, we actually have to believe in something. Only if you actually believe in something in your heart and soul, it's not just a nice talking point, but this is this is injustice, it's a problem. This needs to be redressed. I'm going to diagnose it. I'm going to, I'm going to understand the cause. I'm going to pursue a solution. Amos 515. Hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gate. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.